Hi, I'm Ryan Miner, the host of a Minor Detail podcast. This year, a Minor Detail podcast turns five. We're celebrating on Tuesday, March 3rd at Harry Brown's Restaurant on State Circle, beginning at 6 o'clock p.m. Comptroller Peter Franchot will be our featured guest of honor. We hope you can join us. With your support, the show will continue to reach thousands of Marylanders each week delivering fresh and easy-to-digest content on all things Maryland politics and news. To show some birthday love and support, pick up your smartphone now and visit iTunes, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Overcast, or wherever you download or stream your podcasts, and click subscribe to a Minor Detail podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast episode for a small investment, or perhaps running an ad on an upcoming show, email me at ryan at aminordetail.com. Find us on the web at aminordetailpodcast.com and be sure to like us on Facebook and Twitter. On Sunday, January the 26th, DMV Daily's Hassan Giordano joined the podcast to discuss the 7th District Special Election and the Baltimore City mayoral race. I invited Hassan on tonight because I wanted to talk to him about two big races. One, of course, is the Baltimore City mayoral election. But first, I want to start with the 7th District Congressional race. Hassan, this past week, and by the way, welcome to the show for the very first time. This past week, they had a uh, a forum or a, I don't know if it was a forum, debate, whatever you want to call it. The Baltimore Sun reports on this, and you were the host. You moderated this important uh, event. So tell me about that. And But first, maybe tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, first and foremost, thank you, Ryan, for having me on. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I can tell you, not only is it the first time on your podcast. This is the first time I've went on any podcast oh, other than my own um, <laughs> at DMV Daily or um, Serial's podcast. Wow. I usually don't, do, but I, I'm a fan of it, and I, I really encourage people to not only listen and share the information, because it's really hard, right? Podcasting isn't an easy thing. I know people are like, oh, you just put a microphone together, and that's <laughs> it. You just talk, and it's like, no, it's a lot more that goes into it. I agree. Um and sponsors, please sponsor, because, you know, independent journalists like Ryan and the independent news that you're going to get from the information that you receive from them is important, right? Because the major publications are just really aren't, they're just regurgitating what others are saying. They're not really giving you a, a on-the-ground look at a lot of the stuff that's going on. I agree. So, Thanks, man. Certainly kudos to you. Now, <laughs> the race itself is interesting. We did host... What I didn't know at the time, uh, but come to find out, the only debate between these candidates that are running for the 7th Congressional District. And, you know, it's a special election, a special primary, and it's 32 candidates. Now, mind you, we couldn't have all those candidates uh, grace the stage. So we came up with a system of online voting uh, back in December, and we informed all the candidates and campaigns and put it online and said, hey, we want the top five. Um, it turned out to be the top seven because six and seven were so close to five. It was kind of unfair to leave them, exclude them. Um, so we took the top seven that were voted on by the people, the voters, um, to grace the stage at Soul Baptist Church, uh, Soul Harvest Baptist Church over in West Baltimore within the heart of that district. Um, the fortunate part was there were about three other candidates that were kind of close 
in numbers um, who had reached out consistently, wanted to be a part of it. We're a little discouraged that they weren't able to grace the stage. Yeah. But what had happened was three of the candidates that were um, of the top seven were state delegates. Well, two were state delegates, one state senator. They had to leave through early in the debate uh, about halfway through because they had to go to Annapolis because on Monday nights, it's a night session. It starts at eight. Mm-hmm. So they were able, they got a lot of their information out. They left and we filled their seats with the three candidates that were there that were the next top vote getters. So everybody was able to get their information across for the most part. Um, and it was good. You know, it was it was interesting. I thought it was going to be more fireworks there because it was a debate and it was an opportunity to take shots at the next person and, you know, kind of really get that gotcha moment. And there really wasn't any. It was like if they fizzled out. I mean, Ryan, it was just like I was in a like a PTA meeting or something. It's like <laughs> like what are you guys going to like? Really, the only person that really was engaged in that type of. I guess warfare, you can call it, was Jill Carter. One time she kind of alluded to – she took a shot at former Congressman Kwasi Afume and his support of the 1994 crime bill and talked about how – you know, communities have been devastated, especially African-American communities by this legislation and kind of how dare you support it. And Kwasi kind of came back and retorted, yeah, clearly you don't know what we knew at the time with this legislation. And I've made my statement about this over and over again. At that time, you think we're dealing with a, a, a crime crisis here in Baltimore City. Now, it was over 350 murders at the time. It was we Baltimore at the time looked like New Jersey. It was spiking crime all across the country. And so as bad as the crime bill looks now, it actually looked really good back then. And it was some good and bad in it. And you know, any congressman or senator who supported it will tell you that. And then he kind of shot back, well, the presidential candidate that you're supporting, Bernie Sanders, supported it as well. Ooh. So don't don't come at me right? and I don't see you calling him out for it. You feel that was like the only firework of the night. Yeah. The Baltimore Sun reported on this forum in particular. They said and was written, gun violence and criminal justice were prominent topics, as you mentioned before, Hassan, State Senator Joe Carter, according to the Baltimore Sun, criticized former 7th District Representative Kwaise Mfume, who is seeking re-election to his old seat, for supporting a 1994 crime bill signed by the by then-President Bill Clinton. This is a crime bill that continues to creep its way into even national politics. Vice President, former Vice President Joe Biden has been um, scrutinized for his position on this bill, has been scrutinized by many of the other candidates, including uh, Senator Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Carter, Jill Carter, she called Mfume a champion of the crime bill. And then he replied, according to the Baltimore Sun, that Jill Carter had overlooked facts and as you said, that uh, in 1993, we had lost 353 murders in the city, or we had 353 murders in the city, more than we had last year. The level of violence was so high, it was almost like New Jack City, Mfume said. So what was that exchange like? Detail that. How was the reaction of the other candidates? Were they sort of stunned that this exchange happened in an otherwise unlively event? And what was the reaction from the other candidates? 
Well, you know, I don't think anybody was stunned. I, I know that um, it seems that Terry Hill and Jill Carter, and Terry Hill's another candidate delegate um, from Howard County, kind of giggled. Uh, Maya Rocky Moore Cummins, the wife of the former Congressman Elijah Cummins, kind of like was, you know, one of that smile like, whoa, I don't want to be in this, you know, involved in this. And she was between the two. Right. Right. So she kind of like leaned back like, well, I'm going to stay out of that one. Um, but, <laughs> you know, for the most part, it was OK. We've heard this before. And I think most of the candidates address and acknowledge that Mr. Congre former Congressman Afume has answered that question on numerous occasions. So it wasn't as if it was something that was kind of like a gotcha like oh like you know it hasn't been addressed before the what really kind of shocked me that it didn't turn out so we took questions from the audience we had great panelists and i want to acknowledge um dmv daily we do these live streamed debates for all the districts um in baltimore city that are run for city council we're doing the con obviously, we did the congressional. We're doing the mayor debate and president's day, city council president, and so forth. And so we always – I kind of try to take myself out of it because especially this one, I took myself out of it. We had moderated by Larry Young and the mayoral one because I have a very long relationship uh, with Kwesi and Fume and another one with Sheila Dixon. So mm -hmm. clearly you know, everybody knows where, who I support personally, but – I don't want that to ever interfere with how I report on them or how we do these debates. And so the panelists that were asking the questions, they always devise their own questions. They never inform me or anybody else on what they are. I hear them just like everybody else for the first time at these debates. It was Luke Broadwater from the Baltimore Sun, Ivan Bates from Bates and Garcia Law Firm, uh, Karen York from Job Opportunities Task Force, and Ricardo Jones from SEIU 1199. So you have that diversity of union, news, the legal and the criminal justice background, always at these debates, asking the questions of these candidates. So I think they did a wonderful job of bringing forth – and you, you, the crowd question, Ryan, really shocked most people because yeah. two of them. One was aimed at former – the wife of the former congressman, Maya Rocky Moore Cummins, kind of really s directly spoke to um, the fact that, one, her uh, business, Global Policy Solutions, and that whole investigation into the money um, be because of being a for-profit and a 501c3 That's right. with two different entities. And they actually said, somebody in the audience that the panelists asked was like, well, how do you feel about Harry Spikes that was on the stage with her at the time that your your own stepdaughters, the congressman's daughters, don't even support you, but they support your opponent? Yeah, let's talk about that. That's interesting to me. And the Baltimore Sun again reported that the former state Democratic chairwoman and the widow of the late congressman was asked about the support of Elijah Cummings' daughters for another candidate. And as you mentioned, Harry Spikes, who has been, I believe, a 15-year aide to the late congressman who died in October of 2019. Jennifer Cummings and her sister support Democrat Harry Spikes. And Rocky Moore Cummings said in reply, Elijah loved his daughters, and I'm so glad they are focused on having their voices heard in this debate, which I think reading that that's a classy response that's a i don't want to dip into the family dynamics but 
as we both know, something clearly has occurred where the children of Elijah Cummings, not endorsing their their stepmother, that may be something that we can read more into and analyze. What's your take on that, Hassan? Well, you know, so first and foremost, she did do a very classic response. Now, I don't know if it came from the heart or if this is something that the professionals she hired, the media professionals, they went over, over, and over. But knowing my the way I do, I would say it came from the heart. And she basically was like, look, he raised some very principled and outspoken young ladies, and they're going to voice their their, their opinions. I and couldn't I think of a better – I couldn't think of a better statement. She's not a, a, a directly – engaging with the what the media what we like is to kind of get to the root of this issue to unwind it dissect it understand the family dynamics and delve into the personal and whoever her media consultants are and maybe i and i don't know maya um i don't know dr cummings at all and but i do think that it's a pretty level-headed brilliant response and a way to indirectly say hey i understand and they're they're capable of making up their own minds and i'm not going to take the bait i i think it's brilliant oh it really was and you know but i think overall when it happened right so harry spikes decided to make his announcement in a boxing ring for what i I don't i'm still trying to figure that out i think every political person is but he had the daughters behind him photo op that all you had to do was take that picture and that spoke volumes but I think it started before that so what I heard directly coming from Elijah's funeral was chatter from amongst the people in the crowd there at the funeral as well as those watching it on television because again this is streamed everywhere it was you know a very big deal and uh, Dr. Cummings decided to have the the daughters now I don't know if she chose to see it I would assume so because she kind of put it together or the daughters may have chosen to sit, but they were not next to her in the center aisle uh, up front. They were pushed all the way to the end, kind of next to Joe Biden. It's a good observation Um, and one that you could make of it what you will. However, anything to do with funerals, there's always a seating. There's always a predetermined kind of a a a protocol to to handle this but in your world as you know as a communications guy aesthetics are everything so maybe there was something else to that right and that's what i think that many people kind of looked into at that time was that that began to chatter immediately like there has to be a rift and if there's not she really disrespected these girls by having the obama sit next to her and push them all the way down at the end now again these are people in in the rumor mill that you know obviously we cannot control but it began that conversation so weeks later when harry spikes then has the daughters up behind him that just kind of confirmed like what everybody had already been talking about and really kind of pushed it forward. But the, the, the craziest part is most people coming out of the funeral would have told you in this race for the special election to fill her husband's seat that she would be a front runner along with Kwasi. Uh, agreed. Right? Agreed. But her stock has, I believe, plummeted huh. over these weeks i mean she has not really connected with the voter base 
whatsoever. And it seems like Jill Carter's has risen. Um, Do you to, see Hassan? That's an astute observation. I have closely followed this race from the very beginning, and of course, it was it was terribly sad to see. Uh, it was terribly sad to see Congressman Cummings pass away at such a critical period in American history, where his moral clarity, I believe, led in a district that was much needed. We we may have sometimes overlooked just how valuable of a leader the, the late congressman was and how much he was respected. So looking at this race now, looking at the political dynamics of the next few weeks of campaigning, is there any polling that has been conducted? Have you seen perhaps how this race is expected to turn out? And where do you think the candidates are and who are the maybe the top five candidates running or top three? How how do you think this thing is going to turn out? Well, it's interesting because there hasn't been a great deal of polling done on this, as we see in presidential, gubernatorials, and even to the degrees mayoral campaigns, and that you would probably see in a regular congressional race of this magnitude. But because of the shortened time period, maybe that's it, or I've seen internal polls that are run by candidates themselves. What have you seen? But they've been slanted, obviously, because they're coming from their own campaigns. Now, I've always seen from the beginning, let's, let's take it from the start. The start was Stephanie Rollins Lake, former mayor of the city of Baltimore, was contemplating getting in the race. And she was very close to it, even though her relationship with the Fume goes way back and he helped put her in her seat as mayor. She still was going to do it until she took her own poll and realized that Fume was beyond 40 percent and every other body, everybody else was either at 20, low 20s or or, or in the teens, some wow. in single digits, including her. And so she realized real quick that she didn't have the political capital to run an effective campaign. So she never got in the race. That was the last real poll that I think most of the campaign saw and realized, okay, I see where I'm at. I see where I need to go between now and February 4th. Now, the last two polls I've seen over the past three weeks have been internal polls from campaigns that still having Fume at a slight advantage. You have Joe Carter that's kind of made up a lot of ground as well. I think she's maybe – seven to eight points off and then again the, the margin of error is about three so you know depending on which way that pendulum swings just depending you know who knows she might be closer she might be further away right and then you have in a clumped group kind of Maya Rocky Moore Cummings and um Terry Hill uh Safir Rob really did a lot he's really helped his efforts in in terms of recognition but people seem to not know or believe that he's a real credible congressional candidate more so they know the name right name id he does well of the candidates because you know they've done some i guess good blitzing on social media and other efforts but when it comes to who you're going to elect quasi and fume seems to be by and far the front runner in this and i think it's largely because when you look at it february 4th is a, a special primary so next you got week one day. yeah and you got one day right there's no 
week of early voting, right? There's no none of that. It's just one day that you That's got right. to come out. And typically special elections, Ryan, you know this you don't you only have super voters that show up, right? right? The average voter who now eh, may or may not go out to vote on a regular election certainly is usually not gonna come out on a special election. They don't they really don't care or just don't have the time. And so you're going to see a older, more sophisticated voter base that's going to come out. Many of them, especially from the city of Baltimore, are elders, seniors, black women and men hmm. who are used to voting for an Ufume. Remind you, remember, to those who are listening who don't know, he used to hold this seat. He was the former congressman of the 7th District, so they voted for him in the past. And that means a great deal when you run a campaign. If a voter has been used to voting your name and pushing your name or writing your name in, it's really hard to overcome that as a challenger. And what kind it, of what kind of representative was Kwaize and Fume? What, what was his style? And do you see any of his issues at the NAACP? We're talking about some of the personal issues affecting how voters view him. It doesn't appear like that it's going to pose a detriment to his campaign. It does. So, and, and that was another question that was raised by the audience that night that kind of posed right directly to the former congressman was his relationship with a young lady in the end up when he was president and CEO of the NAACP that led to um, sexual harassment allegations that were never kind of founded, right? He had that dogged his campaign for the United States Senator in 2006, all the way up to the end until the National Organization of Women came out and endorsed them and said, this is unfounded. We got your back. That's right. But it was too late by then. Right. And so, you know, he ended up losing to Ben Cardin. But now I think it's even further from that, because now you're that was what 14 years ago and it was nothing there. Now. Even with the Me Too movement, it doesn't seem to have been brought home because the young lady who he dated um, and he like he explained and he was cut off during his answer during the debate because he kept going over his time. And unfortunately, our timekeepers, they, they were strict on that. He didn't really get it fully, but he basically saying, look, she was single. I was single. We had a relationship. It was boneheaded. You know, I shouldn't have did it. It happens all the time in workplaces. But in this case. You know, another young lady kind of brought out the fact that you feel like she should have been promoted. She wasn't. She felt like it was because of the relationship he had with this young lady. And so nothing ever really came because there's no victim that ever came forward. Now, if that young lady decided to do a commercial for one of his opponents over the next week, it may very well end up hurting him come February 4th. But I have yet to see that happen. Have you heard of any other... Have you heard of any other candidates, Hassan, who are willing to use this material? And, of course, it's relevant, and it's something that could be used, as, a, and it has been used, as an attack on the former congressman. And do voters care? Do voters really, truly care about it? I don't think – if uh, I could just tell you if I was advising any of the other candidates, using that – is not a guaranteed win, right? If that that does it may come back and haunt you and really hurt you as opposed to hurting him, only because there's no validity there. There's nothing concrete that you could point to to say, look what he did 
that's atrocious. We should never have somebody like that in office like that. So there's no gotcha there. There's no, if anything, I would say this guy's 72 years old. We need somebody new, fresh, young, kind of go with the AOC approach, right? We we got to get the, 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 the old school out. It's a new school approach, and this is how we have to do it. And I don't think that may not work on February 4th, but what I do say, and I've said this for weeks now, the person who wins February 4th, likely Congressman Kwasi Fume, could very well lose three months later in April 28th because of the dynamics. Because they're going to the voters, the 7th District voters are going to the polls on April 28th. This is the exact same day they're voting for the general election, who is the Democrat and the Republican who won in February. They have to vote on that. But then they also vote on the primary for the new two-year term. Yeah. And But this is a different electorate now, right? Now you got thousands, if not tens of thousands of more voters who are turning out, who are younger, who are more in tune with social media and, and digital media, who are Bernie Sanders, um, kind of you know Joe Biden supporters, who now a Joe Carter may be able to kind of drive out a larger base and it may end up and, and mind you think about this most of the candidates say that they're going to stick it through but if a terry hill and maya cummings do terribly february 4th and they get out of the race and they support somebody like jill carter and their base and remember terry hill's the only one that's really from howard county he represents howard county correct base and she tells all her people to support Joe Carter. And now you have April 28th where you have an entire women type of all the women in the in the this race get behind this one woman and you have more voters coming out. Though. Now you can see Ikwazi and Fume fighting for his life. He may win that general election probably and serve out the remainder of the term, but he might end up losing and moving forward with a new two-year term in the Democratic primary. So it could be – it could really get out of hand, and it could have two different candidates win within a three-month period of time. Hassan, I'd like to ask you a process question. People are confused by how this is going to – to progress what it means for someone who actually wins the se- uh, the special election. So when someone wins, when a candidate emerges from the special election, from the Democratic p- primary, is that person then immediately sworn in? No, because no. they're not actually elected. Okay. You're, so- not, you're not elected until you win a general election. So they're only going to be... Okay, so then when is the point at which they are sworn in to fill out the remainder of the term? So uh, immediately after April 28th, you'll have a winner okay. for that special election. Between the Democrat and the Republican nominee from February 4th, will swear off. Now, mind you, we're in Maryland, so in the 7th Congressional District of all districts. So 99.9% whoever wins the Democratic primary will win that general election. That person will then, after April 28th, be sworn in within a matter of days, if not hours, depending on their process and how they want to do that, to fill out the remainder of Elijah Cummings' term, which ends 
in January of next year. What do you think of what do you think of some of the Republican candidates running? I know you it, it seems to be the a, a common theme that a Republican simply has no chance of winning. However, I followed the Republican primary quite a bit just as well as the Democratic primary. Are voters to write it off? Are voters to consider some of the candidates and do you see any pathway to victory by any of the republican field not at all it's just mathematically almost impossible for a rule unless this republican had so much support amongst the democratic electorate that then i could see that happening because like in baltimore city for instance Democrats outnumber Republicans by such a large margin that you really need at least 30 to 40 percent of Democrat turnout to vote for you as opposed to their Democratic nominee to have a chance. Matter of fact, independents outnumber Republicans in Baltimore (laughs) City. So that shows you their numbers. And with Donald Trump in office at this time. And the candidates that we have for this, there's nobody in this congressional race that speaks to the hearts and minds of a Democrat wanting to not choose the nominee that they just, their party just selected and support instead supporting this Republican that's who right. speaks to their values. I, just, I, I think you're I think that that's an astute analysis. I believe just watching the race. And now, of course, I haven't seen any polling republicans are saying the opportunity is here to shift directions and they some republicans have laid blame at the feet of the late congressman cummings for the current status of baltimore city and have considered him to be part of the reason why baltimore city is in uh is in not so good shape so to speak and I don't know if that's exactly fair. I, I think that you can assess some of his policies or his ideas over the last 20 years, and you can take a hard look at his record and say that either he did a great job representing the district or not, but I can't see a reasonable or plausible explanation to lay blame strictly at Congressman, the late Congressman Cummings's feet, and some of the Republicans. I don't know who's advising them, but that seems like a uh, an ineffective strategy. What say you, Hassan? Well, I will be honest with you. I can understand them laying blame to the congressman for the conditions you see. I will lay blame at many of the Democrats who've held office in this town for God knows how long, who've allowed the abandoned buildings to get to you know, historic proportions, who has allowed crime to grow out of control. So to some degree, that's fair. In my, but the problem is they're not running against Elijah Cummings. Right. So now they're going to have to make the case that Kwasi Fume or Jill Carter or Terry Hill or Maya Rackham, whoever the Democratic nominee is, they're just as well to blame. And they're going to say, how? I wasn't the one that's been serving you for the past 20 years. Like, I can't be to blame for what somebody who passed away is done so that would work maybe if elijah was the person that they were running against but since he's not and since they have nothing to do with what we see today then i don't think that's an effective strategy that's going to turn a democrat to say "Hmm, you're right i should vote for you who's the party of this guy that's in the white house that i cannot stand but i'm going to vote for you over the guy or the woman who we just selected 
that is a fresh face, at least in their mind, because they're the new elected king. Hassan, I want to ask you a question. <laughs> Dr. Maya Rockamore Cummings has appeared on several national television programs from The View to Morning Joe with Mika and Joe, uh, Joe's, Joe, um, um, God, his name's, uh, yeah, Joe Scarborough. Um, I'm a huge fan of Morning Joe. I watch it every morning on weekdays. And of course, she has been uh, pushing out a message that she is the, the uh, heir to the, the late congressman's seat, of course, being his late, uh, being his spouse, she's a widow. But is this national media? Is that really playing with constituents inside the district? Do they really take that and her media appearances and say, "Yes, that's my person"? Is it really having any effect on the race whatsoever? In my opinion, absolutely not. Now, you know, if, if you're running to expand your business or your profile nationally. Sure, that's a great way to go about it. But if you're looking to win over voters in the 7th Congressional District, I don't see that making an impact whatsoever. And I think, really, to be quite honest with you, the only person that we were just talking about that they, that Republicans could make a strong argument against to, to, to mount a possible takeover of the district is Maya Rockamore Cummins because they can point to the Cummins name mm -hmm. and say she's just as responsible as her husband. Do you really want another Cummins? So that kind of sticks with her, even though it's unfair because she's not Elijah Cummins. But I can see people saying, huh, okay, no, I'm tired of voting for Cummins. I'm going to vote. That possibly could happen. But to answer your question, no. I, to me, she's running a media campaign for the future of Maya Rockingmore Cummins, not so much the future of the 7th Congressional District. Smart branding, smart communication strategy. Uh, there was a piece written a, a month or so ago by media, Maryland Matters' Josh Kurtz, who's their editor and publisher, and he remarked that Maya Rockamore Cummings would run would be running a consultant heavy campaign and from my perspective it seems so it seems like every message is tested before it's released Jill Carter uh, a, a current state senator has a, a a a ground game much similar to Bernie Sanders she has a number of supporters who have come out and supported her uh, by knocking doors and doing some strong grassroots efforts. And I hear talk all about Annapolis that Jill Carter could be the sneak candidate. She could surprise everyone and win this thing based on her grassroots support. Is that a plausible scenario? Do you see Jill Carter perhaps coming about in this race and and and, and making a surprise win on the 4th of February? So I, yay, yay, nay. So I think the honor reasonable put out, and I say this to anybody, including, and I'm not a big fan of Joe Carter's, right? She's not a big fan of mine. She'll tell you. But I am a big fan of people who can run great campaigns. This campaign she's running isn't great by any stretch of the man's nation, but it's a lot better than everybody else's. And I say that to say that Bernie Sanders, and like you had talked about, that whole, her whole campaign is, the epitome of a Sanders campaign. They have no campaign manager, really. I mean, Richard DeShay Elliott is kind of, you know, the day-to-day, -day, I'll make a decision if need be, but it's kind of like a collective. They're running it as a collective campaign, whereas just everybody's involved, you do what you got to do, whereas though the Fume campaign, as much as 
he talked about being the grassroots candidate, and you would think that he would be. They have not. They've run a traditional old school campaign where, oh, let's go to some events and let's touch the people and let let him work the room and give these speeches. And to some degree, it's worked. You know, in Baltimore, I don't know how well and effective it is in Howard County. So to that degree, I think, yeah, Jill. In my opinion, if Kwasi Fume was going to lose on February 4th, but more so, I think he has more vulnerable on April 28th. The person I think that could actually give him a run for his money or beat him is Jill Carter. Wow. That's a bold statement. Now, I want to talk about the Baltimore City mayoral race. It's been in the news heavily over the last few weeks. And last Sunday evening, I interviewed... Thuru Vignaraja, who on Monday we found out that he had an incident on September the 26th of 2019 where he was stopped by Baltimore City Police and he was uh, cited for, I believe, a, uh, a registration issue. I think his car registration had expired. And then it turned out where he asked a sergeant to come on the scene and he then asked the sergeant if he'd be willing to turn off his body camera. And the sergeant obliged that request, and it's turned into a a pretty big story. The Baltimore Sun was um, had some reporting on it, and then independent journalists um, from a former Baltimore City resident, um, her first name is Justine, she had released this story and talked about the video. So... Thiruvig Naraja released his campaign finance report that he raised a million dollars, and the latest Gonzalez poll showed him in the lead, tied with Brandon Scott. And then until last Monday, people, including myself, had considered that he could pull this out. It's a he's a different type of candidate. He's a very policy oriented candidate, and I see that this latest incident could possibly affect his chances. What do you say to that? Is the Ruvignaraja damaged beyond repair after this latest incident? I've seen other candidates who have hit him hard on this. So, knowing the dynamics of Baltimore and knowing Ruvignaraja very well, I'd say I would have never in my life believed anything that Fox put out in that poll was garbage. Wow. And I certainly would never have believed him to be anywhere close to a front runner. He had just, this is a guy who, mind you, just ran for the state's attorney two years ago. Um, He had pretty much the same message he's trying to sell now, but that was on a state prosecutor level, um, running against Marilyn Mosby and Ivan Bates. And he came in a distant third, and he focused primarily on white areas of South Baltimore who he thought he could convince. And he did. He did a good job of, of convincing white voters, largely in Southeast Southwest Baltimore, that you're scared, you have a problem. I know how to address that problem. And he probably would have had a great opportunity to get those same voters to believe in him in this mayoral election. So he would have stole a good portion of the white vote in Baltimore. That does nothing but help a Sheila Dixon, who ain't getting the white vote. Let's make no mistake about that. No, right? I don't or think a so. Large portion of it. If she gets any other white vote, it's going to be a very small portion. But Baltimore City is predominantly African American. Right. So if the, if her base turns out and the white vote, who 
even though they're smaller, they turn out larger numbers in some degrees. But if they are split up with a Vigneraja, a Mary Miller, some of them going to Brandon Scott, now that's the best scenario Sheila Dixon can ever ask for because they're split up where her base is coming out in large part in the African-American community. So it helps. Does she Vigneraja, Sorry, go ahead. He is a, um, and I've always found him to be a very egotistical kind of stuck on himself. I, I know you're kidding yourself that this news came out the day after your podcast, by the way. But it's it's Justine Barron did a excellent job on reporting, more so than my friend Luke over at The Sun, because she broke it all. We had her on a podcast the other day. She broke all this stuff down. And I spoke with her last Tuesday. We we're going to bring her on to talk in a broader sense of some of her coverage, but I do think that she was robbed in a sense of having the credit of breaking this story. She had worked on this story and I don't think she'd mind me sharing this. She had worked on this story four months and uh, the Baltimore sun scooped it in advance. And there's a story behind that. And I'm going to touch on that with her. However, that was a big deal, and I do believe that she had she needs some justice there, and in, in, in getting her out. So I appreciate you bringing her on, and she's a fantastic journalist. She really is. Oh. Yeah, we had her on before a year or so ago about the detective Sean Suter case. I remember. Uh, yeah, yeah, she's she does some wonderful work, and that's why I always support independent journalism. But to Cyrus's point. Yeah, look, he raised a million dollars. I mean, has as much money as front runner as Jack Young, right? Um, so money does kind of change things. This issue, though, I'm gonna tell you why this one's gonna hurt. Now, there is a, already a video out about him in a hotel room. It was a uh, Project Veritas. James O'Keefe, right? Kind of broke this years ago it came up somewhat in the state's attorney's race and i knew it was going to come up at some point in this mayoral race it's basically he met a young lady in a bar who was undercover kind of you know brought him enticed him into a hotel room where he's on camera kind of saying hey i work for the attorney general's office I'm going to tell you some state secrets that you shouldn't be able to tell nobody because nobody knows about this. And he was married at the time. So it didn't look well, bode well for him. Then on top of this, really, is kind of like a destruction button. I think people could have said, look, this is Project Veritas. You know, James O'Keefe is, you know, brought down Acorn. They're not credible. And I've heard a lot of people try to discredit what they've seen in this video of him Mm -hmm. before this incident. But now with this incident on top of it, I think now plays into his character. So now people are going to question, okay, this is the second time we saw you with an unidentified female, number one. Um, The second time that it's questionable circumstances on video that you can't just kind of BS your way out of it. And then even when Fox 45, who has all but laid out the red carpet for this guy, brings them on almost every day. I mean, I think to to point, I think they really violated FEC violations. And wow. even their town halls are all about this guy. They give him the best positioning. They always have him on where other candidates for mayor have been rejected time and time again for coming on Dewey's town halls. They've played this guy. They gave him an opportunity the other night in one of their town halls to apologize, and he didn't do it. And I think the glaring part is you saw an officer 
who I know well, who was shot last year uh, at a methadone clinic over there on uh, Howard Street, well, Maryland Avenue, um, 25th, down the street from 25th, basically say you put these these officers' careers in jeopardy because of something that you you did. And I think the law and order electorate that he would have gotten probably because of his background and because of his message have now questioned his integrity. And if he actually is that guy because of the way he spoke to the responding officer and kind of dismissed him and wanted the supervisor. And now because these other officers are now in jeopardy, their jobs are in jeopardy because of something he asked them to do. Now, I think he's lost that law and order support that he would have probably had otherwise. Well, that's an interesting observation. Let me ask you about State Senator Mary Washington, who is a um, in District 40. I think she's 41, if I'm not correct. Uh, pardon me? Yeah, 43. 43, pardon me. I always get confused with some of my districts. I live in 17. State, uh, State Senator Cheryl Kagan is my senator. I've interviewed Mary Washington, and I find her to be extraordinarily bright. She is running on a different type of campaign. She is running a an outsider's perspective who can go in and clean up City Hall, and, and she's uh, – Oh, she's a disruptor style candidate. She's never had the the support from the Annapolis so called machine, and she is a she she's run a disruptor style campaign in the past. What are her odds on winning this? What are her chances? What say you, Hassan? So I, Mary Washington is my senator, and I love Mary Washington. I supported her over Joan Carter Conway when she ran against her for Senate just in 20 And beat her. And beat her, yeah. Long-time state senator, very powerful senator. And see, I'm not somebody who always supports that, oh, we need a new change. Like, state senator Joan Carter Conway was in a very powerful position as chair of Economic Health and Environmental Affairs. We don't have many of those leadership at that time in Annapolis. Now, of course, we got you know, the Speaker of the House in Baltimore County and the Senate President of Baltimore City. So we're good, man. But back then we didn't. And so it took a lot for me to want to support somebody to take out of leadership. But I just thought Mary Washington was that person. I think that a lot of people in this district did the same because they wanted fresh new leadership in the Senate. They didn't want a fresh new mayor. And I think that's what's going to really hurt her in this district is we just put you in as our senator a year ago and now you're telling me you want us to vote for you as mayor it's like what do you want to be like let let us know now and now i think what's going to maybe hurt her might not that the rumor is going around that she's only running citywide as mayor because she's supposed to run on a ticket with Peter Francho as his lieutenant governor candidate 2022. Have you heard that before? Is that is that a rumor that has been floated out and about throughout Maryland politics? Throughout Baltimore City. Okay. And I asked her about this. We had her and T.J. Smith, Sheila Dixon, and Brandon Scott on the show two weeks ago. And I asked her straight out. People are saying this. What do you say about that? She addressed it very well. She did it on the stage without even being asked at the Morgan State forum they just had saturday said you know people are saying this i'm running to be your mayor i'm not running for anything else and that sounds good but when you look at the campaigning on the ground here i have yet to see a field team for mary washington hitting the doors now mind you i'm not everywhere at all times so 
you know, I may have overlooked it. Um, I I think she's a wonderful state senator who can, has a long, you know, uh, road ahead of her in politics if she picks the right course. I'm not bought and sold on the fact that she can win this race with the the people who are in this race. She doesn't bring anything new and dynamic that a voter in West Baltimore, East Baltimore, South Baltimore can say, she's the one I want because she's the crime fighter or she's the one I want because she's this or that. She has no proven record in city politics and city government that makes anybody want to support her over anybody else. So I don't, I see her really as one of the candidates like Nick Mosby in 2016 that either gets out of the race last minute or who gets eight to 10 percent of it. The rumor on the street in Annapolis, and I'm there every week, frequently talking to state lawmakers, talking to political insiders. The rumor is, is that it's Sheila Dixon's to lose. And accompanying that narrative is uh, another narrative that is forming that should Sheila Dixon win this primary, of course, she's almost certain to win the the general election, that it would be considered one of the biggest comebacks in Maryland political history. Do you buy into that narrative? Is she the current front runner against an incumbent mayor, Jack Young? No, I don't think there's any front runner, to be quite honest. And, and I told you in the beginning, I'm a huge Sheila Dixon supporter, um, advisor, you know, everything. Like, so, but I'm not going to sit on here and lie to you and try you, to pump her up. Are you paid by her campaign? No, okay. not at all. Um, but I would say that right now she could be the front runner, but a lot of things are going to happen over the next 90 days. Now, if you ask me who would win the election tomorrow, it would be close, but I think probably Sheila Dixon. They're right. Wow. Right. And the reason is, and if it, and I can just say this, if the campaigns go accordingly the way they have been with no real clear direction. And she steps out on this crime and this crime plan she has, and she's about to roll out this week and all this, she could certainly take that front runner role and take it all the way to April 29th because look, she's the only person that's on the stage that actually has a record of service in, in government that has reduced crime. Right. Brandon Scott, Jack Young, great, great guys. But if you look at it, you guys have been serving for the past 10 years. Look at homicides in the city for the past five years has exceeded 300 every single year. Crime is out of control. We've had over four police commissioners during your administrations. Right. And so you can't tell me that now you have a crime plan that's going to solve all that if you get elected mayor. Like, why hasn't it come to fruition since you've been in office. So that kind of damages them. Whereas though Sheila Dixon could say, look, when I left office, the, you know, the circumstances of why she left will probably hurt her in certain communities. But when I left office, what you can't say is I didn't know how to run government. Homicides were reduced to its lowest in 30 years. You know, quality of life crimes, robberies, all that stuff was down. Government was working efficiently. There was no hacks. We weren't getting hacked and city services going down. So she could point to all that. And even the most adamant Dixon hater who can't stand her, who can't stand the Dixon card, the the uh, uh, the well, gift card thing will tell you out of their own mouth. She damn sure knows how to run this city. 
Now, they might not vote for her, but they at least admit that. And so the other person who's not that adamant, who doesn't really know Sheila Dixon, but hears, oh, well, she knows how to run the city and she knows how to reduce crime. Well, the hell, I'm voting for her because right now people are scared, right? People are, they don't even come out of their house after six o'clock because they're worried about getting carjacked or shot. And so when you have that type of emotion in a race, traditional wisdom goes out the window. Now it's about what can we do, who can we put in office right now that can solve this crime problem on day one. And if you ask the majority of, of city voters, 90% of them will probably say Sheila Dixon. And do you see that a redemption narrative is forming in this race and is a redemption – well, people forgive. They will not forget. However, has she showed contrition? Has she showed that – she was irresponsible and her ethics were on full display for a city in trouble. And will voters forgive her and instead acknowledge that the city needs help from someone who has done the job and is willing to forgive and give her another shot? Do you think that that narrative is there? I think it is. I think part of it's going to fall on her on how she answers that, right? Because that's going to be an overarching, no matter where you go. Every time the Baltimore Sun writes an article about it, they always got to put in Sheila Dixon, who was booted out of office for stealing gift cards. They never go into what actually happened, any of that. That's, that's all they ever write. And so that means the television news, who only regurgitates what the Sun says, is going to they're going to leave with that same exact thing. So she's never going to get a fair shot with the media. So her job is going to have to be, how do you relay that? which you just said, kind of redemption story to them to say, look, here's what happened, right? I'm not going to get into the, the back and forth, this and that, but she's going to have to come out at some point and say, and she's already apologized, but I think to some degree saying, look, here's what happened, right? I didn't steal. I didn't have healthy Holly books, children books that I was selling. I wasn't profiting off the backs of the citizens of this city. I started this gift, this gift card program. It would never existed if it wasn't for me. It was for poor families. I didn't take the ones that were designated for them. I had my own set. They were mixed up by case in point. It's over. And then, look, after you explain it, if people still want to kind of vilify you for it, so be it. You can't go any more than that. But I think it's going to be up to her to, to show that. But I would argue, Ryan, that it's not the greatest comeback story this year because she already did it in 2016 if you really look at the numbers and break it down and now that we know everything from Catherine Pugh and how they cheated during that election and how they put all this money up that didn't actually exist that we pointed out in 2016 was happening now that we know four years later after you boot her out that Sheila Dixon won the race in 2016 but they took it because Sheila, uh, Catherine Pugh had busloads of people come in, phony money that was stacked on the books and so forth. And that kind of allowed Catherine Pugh to beat her by 2,000 votes. But if you really look at because that was an election year, where if you remember that myself and a lot other, other people, uh, uh, part of Voice, had to sue the city because we had over 1,100 um, issues of voter integrity, that they were – ballots that weren't counted after they certified the election. There were more votes counted than voters that showed up at polls. I mean, the list goes on and on and on to a point that 
they decertified the city election results for the first time in the history of the state of Maryland because of all the voting irregularities that went on the Baltimore City. So if that was really addressed and fixed, you may have seen a lot of different election results from that that primary, that April primary of 2016. But they didn't want to get into all that, so they just recertified and said, hey, ain't nothing we can do. You know, life goes on. Hassan, it's worth pointing out that Catherine Pugh was backed by the Democratic establishment of Annapolis, and she was funded, she was put into a position where they made her the front runner, and you haven't heard too much from the Annapolis machine in the aftermath. They all expressed their disappointment and how sad it was, but do they bear any responsibility? They bear it all, to be quite honest. And I'm just going to put them on blast. That's just who I am. Fair enough. Elijah Cummings, may he rest in peace, was the main person who rallied everybody around Catherine Pugh. What happened, I'm just going to break it down. January campaign finance filing, the annual filing, is always the big to-do. It just happened this year. It happens every January where there's a deadline and they got to show how much money they have. Now, Catherine knew, Catherine Pugh, former state senator who had those relationships, knew that if I didn't show a certain amount of money, in this January deadline, I couldn't go to the big boys and get money because they don't look at my thing and say, you can't even raise money. You're not a front runner. So what she did, what she's now being charged with, is her and a woman named Gia Blatterman went and wrote out phony $6,000 checks Hmm. from businesses down in Little Italy, from workers such as yourself, who you may have worked at a restaurant and said, you know, $6,000 Catherine Pugh. And these people came, you know, and I'm going to tell you uh, the daily, what's the uh, weekly news, City Paper. The City Paper did an entire great expose on this. They went, they talked to these people who wrote these checks who said, I don't even know who Catherine Pugh is. (laughs) Let alone, I don't even have $600, let alone $6,000 to give to a politician. And they caught her dead handed, but they never did anything, right? Then you had $100,000 from Jim Smith so forth and so on. They have all the blame because they're the ones who wrapped their arms around this woman and made her the front runner. Had that not happened, Sheila Dixon would have won easily. And we wouldn't have probably been at this point that we are today. But they did that, and Kwaizi and Fume was a part of that group. And I love Kwaizi, but got to tell the truth when the truth needs to be told. He was one of the ones with Elijah that, you know, rousing up the troops to get behind Catherine. And that helped her get over the hump towards the end. Now, what I don't think is going to happen is, and I think this probably helps Sheila this time, it's unlikely that those same band of characters who many of them now are gone, you know, Elijah passed. Mike Miller is no longer Senate president. You know, still has some money and juice probably. But those individuals are no longer in their same power positions. But they're less hesitant to now to embrace any of the candidates running for mayor. They're probably like, look, just let them figure that crap out. I think that's there. fair. I think that's a that's a truthful right. statement that perhaps they don't want to get their they don't want to pick a loser. And with Catherine Pugh, they put all their cards into that basket. She was elected, and then during her downfall, and I attribute much of that to the Baltimore Sun's excellent reporting to Luke Broadwater being a dogged reporter as he is, that forced her into a resignation, albeit reluctantly. I, I just I think that this election is markedly different. You don't hear many of the the Annapolis machine coming out and saying, 
let's get behind this candidate. You you, you hear of different uh, different some legislators supporting their own candidates, some legislators bolstering other candidates, but even still. They're battling it out internally. They're battling it out before the voters. So I am – this is a much different race. It feels different to me. And you are an encyclopedia of knowledge. You have a lot of this institutional knowledge that is vital to this process. And to anyone who is listening, you have answered a lot of these outstanding questions. And I see this race um, – coming down to a matter of who can get the job done, who is the most responsible candidate, who can immediately assume office, and maybe throw out some of the conventional wisdom that the incumbent mayor, Jack Young, can win simply because he has the most money. So I, I, I'm, I'm following this closely like you are, and I'm interested to hear your final thoughts. Can Are we going to see any surprises? Are we going to see any... Um, in any, I, I, I guess, are we going to see any fireworks in the next couple of months? Are you going to see candidates really hitting one another over the head? And are we going to get into some dramatic moments? Absolutely. Um, I, I would be really shocked if we didn't. Look, so what I've come to, to see over the past six months to a year is that this is not your usual, typical mayoral big campaign even correct for some reason there's no energy there ryan yeah it's, it's just like oh hey i announced i'm running it's boring there's no even when yeah even when they roll out their announcements it's like hey look at me i sit down with the baltimore sun let y'all know that i'm running which i think to me is a disrespect to every other media outlet but you know whatever and then they say go on with their lives there's no big rollouts there's no big hey look at me i'm running for office and this is why there's no field operations that make you go around the city and say oh they're gonna be so to that degree i think as long as it stays low key it helps certain candidates Mm -hmm. right now i think i would assume you have 90 days you have 92 days today left before the april 20th primary probably over the next week or two these candidates are going to start getting their own internal polls done <laughs> by march they're going to realize that a dixon was or a candidate like a dixon is whipping them i don't know if you guys can cuss but or <laughs> um and during their polling yeah and so they're going to say you know what in order for me to win what i'm going to have to do is remind these voters of who sheila dixon really is or remind these voters of who jack Young or brandon scott really is and then you're going to start to see an entirely different campaign it's going to be run probably mostly on media and it's going to be hey look these guys are terrible this is why she stole from you know children he did this she did that thyru got caught and you're going to see that but i think it's going to turn a lot of voters off because you're going to see so much of it that they're going to be like, you know what? I'm good. I don't want to even pay attention to that stuff no more. I'm going to go with who my gut feels is the best person for this city. So, yeah, it'll probably get nasty over the, over the final month or two. But at the end of the day, if things stay the same, you know, I would probably have to at this point agree with the other insiders. Is Dixon's to lose? Let's just put it that way. Wow. Whether she wins or not, it's up to the voters of the city of Baltimore. And you'll be following it closely. Hassan, can plug your website one more time. Tell me where people can find you, where they can find 
constant content where that you're streaming at and uh, any upcoming projects or media that you are personally working on. All right. Well, first, I want to thank you, Ryan, for having Absolutely. me tonight. Yeah, and I told it before, family, that I wake up at 3.30 every morning. Oh, I so know. I'm in bed by 9 o'clock. <laughs> I'm to sorry. To be up still talking to Ryan and you guys at 10-something <laughs> at night, I love it, though. I mean, this is an awesome conversation. You can always find me at dmvdaily.news. Um, there you'll find articles, our um our podcast is up there as well, DMV Daily Radio Show, which I host with co-host Ivan Bates Esquire and Mark McLearn, um, our producer, Sean Stinnett. We have a wonderful podcast, but we also have Value My Vote 2020, and that's where I really would like most people to go. It's www.valuemyvote2020.com. This has all the districts in Baltimore City that's being run and the congressional special election. It has all the candidates that are running, so you know all the names. We sit down one-on-one with all the candidates, as many as we can get to, um, and get their one-on-one on why they're running. But we also do live stream debates for all of the districts. So we, the next upcoming one, we have a mayoral um, live stream debate on President's Day, February 17th, from 5.30 to 8 p.m. over on uh, Harford Road, 4709 Harford Road, Um and so that'll be very, very interesting. Mary Washington, Sheila Dixon, Brandon Scott, Jack Young, the top vote getters will be there. Um, and we're limited to seven again because we don't want, you know, I think we have what? I think it's 30 32. candidates. For, yeah, 32 candidates for mayor or something like that. <laughs> Look, you can't have an effective debate for or anything else like that. Um, but, yeah, that's what we do. We have our DMV Daily Radio Show podcast comes usually once a week every friday we used to do every day but that was just two taxis um so it's a great time you can go to dmvdaily.news and find that but make sure you go to value my vote 2020 to get educated on the candidates that are asking for your vote in this upcoming election finally i would be remiss if i did not just very briefly express my sincere I guess out shock and uh, just sadness um, over the death of 41-year-old Kobe Bryant, who died today in a helicopter crash that also um, uh, killed his daughter, his 13-year-old daughter. Uh, Kobe Bryant is a legend in basketball, arguably one of the greatest offensive players in the NBA, whose career was marked by uh, incredible success, who uh, broke barriers and with uh, Los Angeles. Uh, I was shocked to read that. That is horrifying, and my my, I'm just devastated to think what's uh, how his wife um, is going to be able to to go through this. And you you take off, uh, you know, your sports fan hat, and then you put on your. I mean, just consider that for a moment. Their family and I just, uh, I'm I'm heartbroken over this. Kobe Bryant's a legend, and uh, I, I I I really am shocked about what happened today. Yeah, and I'm with you. Look, how a woman deals with losing your husband at 41 years old is one thing. Just starting his life. Yeah, and then you lose your 13-year-old daughter, Gigi. um, And, you know, they have four daughters, right? And you lose one of them. Like, for a parent to lose a child, as a parent myself, I couldn't even fathom what you go through. And on top of that, your husband. So you got two caskets that you got to prepare. Two funerals you have to prepare for. It's but look, Kobe Bryant 
was not only a pillar of the NBA community, but of the African-American community and the community as a whole. He was a global brand. This guy, man, epitomized yeah. what we would teach our children to be. And I'm a LeBron fan, to be quite honest. But I, Kobe was a great and talented person on, on the court and off the court. And he's definitely going to be missed. I, yeah, I agree. And this was just, just a shocking, tragic, horrific moment. And I am... Uh... I, like the rest of the world, we're we're shocked, and our prayers are with the the Bryant family. Hassan, I appreciate what you do. I thank you for all of your hard work, your journalism. I believe in independent media. I believe in new media, and I support this concept where if I wish ten more people would come out and start independent independent media websites to keep the community informed. Look, you and I we're uh, we're a little bit outside of the the mainstream. We can uh, we can do some really big things by um, just having a website and through dogged reporting and getting to the bottom of every story. So thank you for what you do. Um, I'm a huge fan of you, and uh, I'm finally glad that we could connect. And I'm sure that you and I will uh, reconnect um, on a regular basis my friend i'm sorry to keep you up past your bedtime and as you have a as you're going to be rising early tomorrow morning um thank you for your time tonight i appreciate you and i hope you have a wonderful and successful week Hassan. you as well and i want to break some news for you real quick it's going to be on first about 20 minutes aflcio just endorsed quasi and full for congress so wow go figure that's a huge endorsement from Labor Union. But it was a pleasure, Ryan. Always a pleasure. We're going to have you on the show real soon as I, well. So I wish an, you and your family all the best. It, it would be an honor, my friend. You have a great week. You do the same. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Hassan Gian, uh, Giandarno of DMVDaily.news. He runs a media site. Check it out. Informative site. Fair, balanced, honest excellent commentary. I encourage you to check him out. My name is Ryan Miner. I host a Minor Detail podcast. I am the editor-in-chief and reporter at a aminordetail.com where I cover state news, municipal elections, all types of news throughout Maryland. I stick to what I know, and that's Maryland news and politics. I appreciate everybody listening. Check me out on the web at aminordetail.com. You can find the latest episodes of the podcast at aminordetailpodcast.com. Consider a sponsorship or an advertisement. Happy to make that happen for you. You can call me at any time. Email me at ryan at aminordetail.com. This week, we're going to have quite a number of interviews. We'll be back in Annapolis talking to legislators, I believe, on Tuesday, we're going to have Baltimore City's uh, delegation chair, uh, Stephanie Smith. She's going to come on the show and talk about some of her issues affecting Baltimore City. So stay tuned. Thanks, everybody, for listening tonight. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you. And look, have a great and successful and happy week. Would you like to share your feedback on the show? Email me at ryan at a minor detail.com. Be sure to subscribe to a minor detail podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Castbox, Overcast, and more. I'm Ryan Minor, and those are the details.